This is Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga, recorded at Halepule on beautiful Kauai. Each month we cover topics that can help you find balance in your life through food, good living, and the eight limbs of Raja Yoga. Learn more at halepule.com. And here's the show. Hello everyone, this is Myra and Kelsey with Halepule's Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga podcast. I've heard all about your recent Japan trip, and I'm sure our listeners would like to hear a bit about it as well. Well, I was in Japan for a few weeks and doing some workshops, a retreat, and uh, training in Ayurveda. It's a long way to travel, but it's fulfilling to share the teachings with a population that's ready to step into a higher level of well-being. Some of the topics we covered were how to access our deepest source of strength in yoga asana, the principles of Ayurvedic cooking and eating, and how to cultivate love and appreciation for our bodies. A common question we get is what we do when we travel. And if that's going through your mind right now, then be sure to listen to our podcast on travel tips where you can learn how to have a smooth and comfortable travel experience with less jet lag and quicker recovery. Just before I left, we harvested 10 gallons of honey We've been talking about our beehives for a while now, and we were so thrilled with the harvest and have just added a new hive, and the bees are very happy. <laughs> our two original hives are named, and what's the name of the new? Saraswati, who is the goddess of teaching, creativity, and the arts. And now we're supplying asparagus from Durga Farms, our organic Vedic farm, to a local restaurant and a small organic grocer and we're preparing for our Ayurvedic treatment training in August. And we're cutting up mangoes and papayas so that we can dry them. When they come, it's in huge amounts. We've had so many. As they're being brought in by the farmers, boxes per day, I caught myself wishing that they would not come all at once so that we could have them for a longer time span in the year. Rather than getting attached to that desire to have them for months to come like I would have in the past, I almost immediately let that go and said to myself that I can practice contentment or samtosha. What freedom that brought me! And I would never have considered that I could practice contentment prior to practicing yoga. That's what yoga really is, finding peace and freedom in each moment of our day, which we make possible by cultivating connection with ourselves as eternal spirit. Yoga is to live our lives in connection with our truth. I, like many others, originally thought of yoga as the poses we do. I went to class, did the yoga poses, then went into my life, and thought of them as separate things. But yoga, in its truest sense, is not just asana or pranayama, or even meditation. It's a way of living consciously and making continual choices to be in the now. This cultivates spiritual connection in life so that we can be happy, joyous, and free regardless of what is or isn't happening, or what others are or are not doing. Deep abiding joy. When I first heard that, I knew the practice of yoga was for me. One of my assignments in yoga early on was to practice while washing the dishes. I didn't like washing the dishes, and my whole life changed as a result. Previously, I had prided myself in my strong likes and dislikes. Attempting to be in yoga while washing dishes brought me into the moment, and there was so much relief there. 
You know, what we practice is what we get, and where we put our attention is where our energy goes. So for me, letting my ego rest for that moment was actually pretty thrilling. I didn't realize that could happen. When I hear that story, I always laugh and think about how many people we have around now, so you actually need to do the dishes very little these days <laughs> and clear some karmas. But when you shared that story with me the first time, it stuck with me. And now, if there is something I really do not want to do, I say to myself, okay, Kelsey, this is your yoga practice. And at some point, sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly, my feelings about it shift. That person I had difficulty being kind to is suddenly not offensive at all. Or the thing I think I will die without, I feel neutral toward. And if there's something that the little voice in my head comes back and says, no, you don't need to let that be your yoga practice, then I know I definitely need to cultivate a new perspective. Which is primarily one of surrender and acceptance. This means letting go of the resistance to the flow of life, making all of life an offering to the source of the universe, or God, if you like. It allows the space to choose to cultivate spiritual connection. Cultivating spiritual connection in life includes things like prioritizing our practices that keep us connected. And that requires willingness, particularly the willingness to be responsible for and take care of ourselves. Then we need to take the action of taking care of ourselves. And if we don't have the willingness to change, then we have to go to a bottom, we'll say, to finally to decide to do things differently. The bottom can sometimes be quite low, and might involve mental or physical disease. Spiritual practices in yoga and Ayurveda can help us prevent this by turning in a different direction for healing and for our growth. And if you're already sick and tired of things as they are, the practices can pull you out and propel you far beyond suffering. We can heal anything when we live from the place of remembering who we are as eternal spirit. We've been incorporating more Jyotish, or Vedic astrology, into our work with clients and students. And even when the Vedic astrology natal chart, or birth chart, indicates challenges in certain areas, they can be overcome by grace. And that grace comes through the surrender that is possible with consistent practice over a long period of time. Myra, can you share the definition of yoga as you see it? Sure. Yoga is a state of being a union of the body, mind, and spirit, where we can access higher spiritual truth. It's also the set of spiritual tools that help us remember who we are, the practices. It's a path to realization of the self, and it supports living in harmony with others and with ourselves. So yoga is about the mind and how to become the master of it as a tool for this human experience. Sandra Kozak, a great yogini and teacher of mine, said, we use the breath to master the mind and the mind to master the senses. This is a clear statement of how the practices of yoga can bring us to good health through mastery of the senses. It's an untrained mind that takes us on detours in life. We have farmers come and go here at Durga Farms, and our current crew has had significant realizations in how their senses rule their lives. For example, one man was used to continuous eating throughout the day, 
I remember you told him in his Skype interview that he wouldn't be able to do that here. His face went blank and he became incredibly uncomfortable. But he was willing to let go of the fear of not being able to eat constantly because he knew his health could be better. He is a yoga practitioner and already felt better having invited asana into his life. We talked to him about the holistic nature of our approach to yoga and Ayurveda and that we would ask him to practice ahimsa, kindness and consideration, particularly to himself and his body, and that includes his digestive tract. It hasn't been easy for him, but after about two months with daily practice of pranayama, mantra, meditation, asana, and general consciousness, he's connecting to his breath for the first time. He can now draw on the new relationship with his breath to master his mind in times of cravings. And the more he turns away from the desire to snack between meals, the more self-respect and esteem he's gaining and showing in his appearance with reduced acne, as well as his mental clarity and how he feels about himself. Given that the breath is the source of our life force, it's easy to see how pranayama, or the practices of breath control, connect us to our innermost self. Without yoga, the mind feels like our enemy, and with the practices of yoga, it's our tool of mastery. As we look back at the main cause of disease being misuse and overuse of the senses, resulting from spiritual disconnection, then we can see the power of the practices of yoga and their effect on us. Niyamas and niyamas are principles that guide us on how to treat ourselves and others. The first and guiding one is ahimsa, which is nonviolence as kindness, respect, and consideration. Ahimsa, along with the other yamas and niyamas, are so powerful because they bring yoga into each moment of our lives. They require presence and consciousness. If you think about it, the most joyful times we have are times when we're right here in the now. Some people say you have to be well established with the yamas and niyamas before doing any of the other practices, such as asana or pranayama. That confused me in the beginning. There are many approaches to yoga. Practicing the yamas and niyamas assists the progression of everything except our lower ego. <laughs> our asana and pranayama will be much healthier and more sattvic, meaning balanced, when we learn to practice ahimsa with our own body and mind. Conversely, practicing asana, pranayama, and meditation in a conscious way will assist us in our ability to live the yamas and niyamas more fully. I loved learning that there were guidelines of how to behave in the world to cultivate happiness because I sure is missing something and was not very happy. Myra, let's talk about these guidelines. Let's go with the yamas first. Although some of the yamas and niyamas are translated as what we don't want to do, it's important to look at what we do want to practice. So ahimsa is the first one. When we put ah in front of the word in Sanskrit, or an A, then it means the opposite. So ahimsa is nonviolence, but we consider it kindness, consideration, respect. These are the things we'd want to do. And we begin that with ourselves, and then it extends to everything and everyone around us. Satya, then, is the next one. Truthfulness and honesty. Self-honesty being the most important so that we can practice honesty with others. 
exaggeration would be an example of not being truthful, not being honest, as well as not looking at our impact on those around us clearly. Asteya means non-stealing. And this applies to material objects, but also to time and energy. So for example, unconscious behavior in your workplace, like leaving a mess in a room and the lights are on, would be steya. It'd be stealing from your employer, for example, the wasted energy and the time for someone to clean up behind you. Other examples are being late to appointments or not listening when in a conversation with someone and talking over them. So asteya would be cleaning up after yourself so someone else doesn't have to. Being on time for your appointments, listening fully when in conversation, and then allowing others the opportunity to speak. And this, of course, goes back to ahimsa and respect as well. Brahmacharya, sometimes translated as celibacy, but it's really about the management of our sexual energy, the most powerful energy in our body. It's not about sex or no sex so much as what we do with our energy, and that includes our mind. I had a student once who decided to be celibate because of his indiscriminate behavior, and so he did that for 17 years. And I met him actually at the end of that 17 years, and he said he did nothing but think about having sex the entire time. <laughs> and he was miserable, to say the least. And as soon as he decided to open it up again, he went right back to his old behavior. So he really needed to learn something different and to practice something different with his energy. Transformation of sexual energy into spiritual energy is a great solution. Unless you have the purpose of procreating or consciously coming together with another human being. And this offers the opportunity for a spiritual experience as well. A question that comes up when we discuss this in our yoga teacher trainings is how can a couple cultivate intimacy in a relationship that honors this principle of brahmacharya? Well, sitting and breathing next to one another is very intimate and helpful in providing harmony and closeness in a relationship. You can actually come to know the other person on that energetic level, and the pleasure that comes from that can far surpass physical sexual pleasure. It also enhances that physical sexual pleasure. Then there's aparigraha, which is non-hoarding, not taking more than we need. And there's tremendous freedom in this because we have the faith that whatever we need will be provided at the right time rather than grasping after things or hoarding things. It seems many people these days believe that more is better and to look out for our own needs first is how to approach life. Through the practices of yoga, I've learned that accumulating things that aren't needed doesn't make me happy and only builds ego, ahamkara. A great way to get started is to clean out your closets and your kitchen cabinets. Notice how it feels, and if you get uncomfortable with letting go of things you don't need or use, then you can put those feelings in a rose and blow them up. 
and let that energy get dispersed. Aparigraha includes non-attachment to people as well and relationships. So allowing freedom in relationships for yourself and for the other person and seeing them for who they are makes it a lot more fun. Those are the yamas. We'll take a short break and be back to talk about the niyamas. Realign with your true self to live a vibrant life through our Embracing Shakti, Women's Ayurveda Health and Healing Certification. In this intensive, you'll clarify what it means to be a woman through the lens of Ayurveda and yoga. Explore the natural cycles of living as a woman and how to bring mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual balance from childhood to puberty, fertility through menopause and maturity, Women are designed to live in accordance with the rhythms of nature. Visit halepule.com for details. We are back. We've been talking about yoga beyond asana, specifically how to take yogic principles into life on a moment-to-moment basis. We talked about the yamas as guides on how to behave in the world. The niyamas guide us on how to treat ourselves. Many of us have not learned how to live in a way that promotes joy and happiness. The first niyama is socha, which means purity. It includes the purity of the mind and the body. Purity of the mind is thinking positive thoughts, loving and beneficial thoughts. And it also includes looking at our motives for our thoughts and actions. In other words, what's underneath that's driving it? Neutrality about the things we don't control helps to make the space for this. Purity of the body includes bathing daily, washing our hands, feet, and face before spiritual practices at a minimum, and there are others. It's not about being perfect. We are human, and we are perfectly imperfect. We have our samskara, which are our memories or impressions, so we will make mistakes. But with conscious practice, these things decrease, and we're able to use that purity to create happiness in ourselves and to inspire those around us. When we purify our thinking, we become considerate of the whole, and that feels good. To treat people well, to not leave a trail, deeply rewarding. And when I began to look at my motives and stop doing things without consideration of others, my confidence and self-esteem enhanced dramatically because of the competition and comparison that was deflated. The next one, samtosha, is contentment. And contentment is sometimes described as wanting what you have. Consider that we can be happy with what we have, regardless if it's something we want or not. My mind was blown the first time I heard that contentment is something we need to practice, that we can practice. I always thought I was under some sort of curse being so discontent in my life, always looking for things to be different to make me happy, rather than just shifting my perspective to be happy where I was and with what I had. We practice samtosha by practicing acceptance, by practicing neutrality and being conscious and present. Some people get upset and say, how can I accept it if I don't agree? What if something is clearly wrong or unfair? 
Acceptance doesn't mean we condone or agree with somebody else. It's just accepting them. It doesn't matter if we don't like it. We can accept someone and decide that we don't want to be around it, for example. The yoga practices help me become honest about where I am not happy with life. For example, the thought of not having mangoes for months to come. And then I can take the steps to come to contentment with that and find freedom. I've been practicing this for a while now, and I'll still have some feelings of disappointment or a feeling of anger sometimes when it doesn't go my way. But now I can move the energy and shift out of it very quickly instead of having it consume me and affect me for days or weeks. We don't have control over how our feelings come up, but we do have 100% control and responsibility for how we respond to those feelings. And that takes us to the next one, tapas. It's literally defined as heat, but it's actually the disciplines or the things that we do, our practices, to come to our true self. Some people feel discipline takes away from freedom and is actually a negative quality. Discipline is something done with commitment on a regular basis. When we bump up against something we find challenging or blocks in our energy and keep going anyway, there's friction that's created and that friction creates a heat that burns off those impurities. We practice tapas here with pranayama, meditation, asana, and Vedic fire ceremonies. The farmer who's practicing eating three meals a day rather than snacking all the time is practicing tapas. Every time he turns away from a compulsion to snack, he's cultivating tapas and that heat burns off the impurities of the mind. As he continues, there are less impurities and it becomes easier to turn away from the compulsions and they will diminish or be gone. Another thing the practices do is help us to shave off the sharp edges of our likes and dislikes, which opens the door to samtosha or contentment. We're often attached to our likes and dislikes and feel that they define us, but there's freedom and flexibility. Tapas is important because without some tapas, we don't change. It also helps to strengthen the mind. Another example of tapas is practicing kindness in our speech. So this means eliminating anything that's based in fear or judgment. So it means consciousness in our speech. Then we have Swadhyaya. This is a study and contemplation of the yogic texts in relation to ourselves, to our own life. A nice thing to do is to read a short spiritual passage right before bed, last thing before going to sleep, and then have another one first thing in the morning. And this is a way of setting the tone for sleep and for our day. Then the last of the niyamas is Ishvara Pranidhana. Ishra is said to be the Lord of the Lords. This is about surrender to something greater than ourselves in the universe, to recognize the current that runs through life. It's a remembrance of who we are as eternal spirit. We can look at any situation in life and find that the yamas and niyamas provide a solution. When my cousin died earlier this year, 
I went straight to Santosha, which came from acceptance that our relationship is different now, and to Ishwara Pranidhana, surrender to the divine and remembrance of myself as eternal spirit, which helped me to remember that she too was eternal spirit and that all is well. I'm still amazed and grateful for the change in personality I have had. I had mostly only known myself as worried, negative, and incredibly terrified of my own or anyone else on the planet's death. And those things are unfamiliar to me now. I have greater peace and acceptance of the process of life, including birth and death. And if I feel like I'm too busy, I practice Swadhyaya by going to the Bhagavad Gita, a yogic text, and applying those teachings to my situation. When I do that, the fear of not having enough time disappears. If I'm feeling energetically heavy, I'll practice satya, self-honesty, to see what is really going on inside my head, and then apply the practice of shaucha, or purity, and clear the energy. Most of us want to be happy, myself included, and these guidelines are a clear pathway how to experience happiness. When I first learned about these and that they needed to be practiced, I wrote them out as a list that I kept by my computer. Each day I would see the list and be reminded of the principles to practice that day. Another effective practice is to do a daily inventory in the evening. Looking back at the day to see where I practiced each of the yamas and niyamas, what went well, and what could be better next time. And then after a prayer or a mantra or a spiritual passage, I go to bed with acceptance of myself and of others. I hear these principles discussed over and over in our trainings and intensives, and the more I listen and apply them, the more at peace I feel in life. And I've gotten to a place in my life in the past where I doubted that I would really feel a sense of peace. Confidence, fulfilling relationships with others, and an ability to feel true joy. Those are the real reasons that I came to yoga, and a large part of why I continue. I thought I wanted to practice so that I could stay active, but it was a calling from my spirit to learn how to live my life from a spiritual foundation. The yamas and niyamas give us the framework and foundation to build confidence, consistency, and a true sense of self that brings happiness and joy in its deepest sense. I mentioned earlier that I thought yoga was a physical practice only. When I began to practice, it seemed powerful to me. It was when I let it flow into the rest of my life that everything really changed. I realized the power that the practices offer. Sometimes people say that what we do at Halepule is unique, but it isn't really. It is true that some people are focused more on the physical aspects rather than the holistic nature of the eight limbs, so perhaps it seems unique to them that we teach how to clear out resistance and habits and patterns that hold us back. These teachings are from the Vedas and we strive to share them in their most pure form as we understand them. Thank you, Myra, for your courage to walk this path yourself and to share your wisdom. It has changed my life and I see it changing the lives of our clients and students ongoing. You know, we're all human and perfectly imperfect. My goal is to show people how powerful they are and how to enjoy living. Whether it's through healing the mind and body with their food or discovering the beautiful layers of our being in daily life. 
we can come to the knowing that all is well. Mm, thank you. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to work with us to determine the best approach for your balance, we offer consultations in person and by phone, Skype, or FaceTime. Thanks so much for listening to Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga. Don't forget, if you have a question or a topic you'd like us to cover, just submit your question on Facebook or Twitter with the hashtag AskHaleePule. That's H-A-L-E-P-U-L-E. And if you want to go deeper on your own path toward health, book a consultation at hollypule.com. In Ayurveda, we understand that we each have a unique constitution. Halipule's tridoshic approach is ideal for families and supports multiple constitutions. You can cultivate sattva in cooking, knowing that you're making meals that support everyone's constitution. Subtle adjustments may be required, but it doesn't need to be a stress point. To learn our tridoshic approach to create nourishing meals, Join simple Ayurvedic cooking with Halepule. Their recipes are easy, delicious, and will leave you feeling energized. And the link to join is in our show notes.